thank you for joining us on The Skeptic Psychic, where we delve into ancient societies, the ghosts, the paranormal, UFOs, all looking at it from the perspective of the true believer and from the skeptic perspective. Joining me, my partner, my co-host, my sibling, Kimber Rodriguez. Myself, I am Richard Gregg. And again, let's look into being the skeptic psychic. Hello. Hello. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Welcome once again to the skeptic psychic, where we delve into the esoteric, the interesting, and the really bizarre sometimes, and sometimes we don't. With me, of course, uh, and the skeptic psychic, Richard Gregg, and always with me, and in spirit and in strife, a warm, happy, hands up in the air, welcome for my wonderful sibling, Kimber Rodriguez. Hey, how's it going tonight? How are you on this uh, spooky Halloween? Well, obviously somebody didn't get the memo. I told you I'm a paranormal investigator. I got my headset so I can listen right. to EVPs. Right. I got uh-huh. my tarot cards so that way right. I can summon spirits. Uh-huh. And since we're talking about, you know, D&D and all of that, I have my 20-sided die so I can roll the luck. Right. Uh-huh. Yes. Well, what Let's are see. your what is your costume? I am the skeptic psychic. Oh, okay. Hello, Raymond. Raymond. Yes, thank you for joining us. I mean, look at the. uh, I mean, look at the uh, thing. You know. Ah, only thing that's missing is the fedora. Yes. Yes. Well, if you're. As always, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe and hit the notification so you know when we go live and have other videos pop up. And if you're watching us on Twitch or Facebook, welcome and thank you again for joining us. And if you happen to be listening to the replay on Apple Podcasts or any other podcasts, how many stars do we like to be rated? One. Two, three, four, five stars. That's five stars. One, two, three, four, five. Yes, we do like five stars, but we'll take whatever you give us. Also, if you do leave a rating, please leave a review as well. We will read reviews on air. So it is a good way to get a shout out. Or you can also join us live here and we will read the comments as much as we can. And so, yeah, what are we talking about on this spooky night? We are going to be talking about the basically the satanic panic. Ah, satanic panic. Explain to our viewers what that'll be. Basically, what we're dwelling into is uh, the introduction of the Lord of Darkness into our pop culture references. Sounds like an interesting topic. Yes. So why don't we dig in or dive in, whichever you prefer. Mm, I don't want to, but we'll go ahead anyway. Now, the panic cannot be pinned down to just one thing. At the time, televangelists were at an all-time high, 
is when the Church of Satan was founded in San Francisco on April 30th, 1966, by Anton Chalador LaVey, also known as Howard Staten LaVey. Despite the name of the church, it seems to stand alone as anti-religion and worshippers of oneself. LaVey was 16 when he shaved his head, claiming it was a tradition of ancient executioners, and announced the formation of his church, with he himself as the, high, the highest of high priests. He felt there was no need for church that would recapture a man's body and carnal desires as objects to celebrate, not reveal, saying, since worship of fleshy things produces pleasure, then there will be a temple of glorious indulgence. Three years later, in 1969, he published the Satanic Bible. And again, unlike the Christian church, his Bible was not scripture, but rather a collection of essays, observations, and rituals. Worshippers, however, considered it as being the authoritative piece of it eventually became the modern scripture. He followed this up with 71 with Satanic Witch, 72 Satanic Rituals, and in 1992, The Devil's Notebook. With his death in 1997, he has since had two books post published posthumously. Uh, 88, I mean, in 98, excuse me, Satan Speaks, and in 2010, Letters from the Devil. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Now, however, when writing the Satanic Bible, LeVay did borrow heavily from other authors or he twisted their ideas to form his own morals, which has brought many claims of plagiarism his way. As many state, the satanic witch book was basically an undiluted dump of forbidden Romani, I guess that's like from Romania, lore about the knowledge of seduction and ma manipulation with some Wiccan spells thrown in. Wicca is a religion that has gone mainstream in 1954. This also claimed that he began the church and published his writings purely out of greed. And while there are reports of LeVay having been intelligent and charming, others claimed he was manipulative. The Church of Satan may have started out small and would seemingly burn itself out, but it took hold and began growing. Christian parents were horrified to think that something called itself the Church of Satan could even exist and worried about what it would do to their kids. Backmasking, not something originally well known, started as a recording technique back in the 60s where young girls would play the Beatles album Rubber Soul Backwards on the song Rain after John Lennon announced in Rolling Stone in 1968 that you could sing I'm sorry, that you could hear him sing part of the song backwards at the end of the track. Now, is that the one where supposedly it came out, Paul is Dead? Is that that album or is it another one? Uh, it is uh, from Rubber Soul on to Sgt. Pepper's all the way up to uh, Let It Be, actually. There, uh, there has been uh, rumors of, of that sort of thing. Uh, rumors? 
had began to uh, abound by 1969 that Paul McCartney had died, as some mumbling John Lennon does when he between the tracks of "I'm So Tired" and "Blackbird." It sounds like Paul is a dead man. Miss him when played backwards. The Paul that was now playing with the band was merely a lookalike, with the real Paul McCartney had died back in 1966. If rumors were to believe, by the time people were hearing phrases like Turn Me On, Dead Man on the Beatles' White Album, and if you played Revolution Number no. 9 backwards, the rumor became so bad that Paul McCartney had an interview in November's 1969's Life magazine under the headline, Paul is still with us. The group did, however, create a real back masking message on a 1995 released studio version of the John Lennon 77 demo, Free as a Bird. The message, which was released 15 years after Lennon's death, uh, featured a clip saying, turned out nice again, as a bit of a laugh and a nod to the Beatles' conspiracy nuts that still are out there today. Now, my thought on that... Paul is a dead man. Could it have been that maybe, you know, there was some kind of like playful tiff going on between the two? And you know how when you're like, you have a little tiff and you're like, oh, you're a dead man. Could that be what it was? And people well, just mistook it as him being dead? Actually, there was basically a, uh, on that was a actual story that uh, was going around that uh, Paul McCartney ha had a uh, was involved in an accident and in order to keep the uh, the fans wanting to be you know listening uh, around, in I guess <laughs> they fake uh, they uh, had a uh, a contest to find out you know who could actually sing like Paul that's between right. uh, 66 and 67 when this all happened. Ah. So those now, impressionable... Story. Ah, okay. So those impressionable teenagers playing the Beatles backwards for some harmless fun soon were buying wholesale the rumors of a demonic backmasking when it began in the 80s. By now, however, those impressionable teens were now parents with growing children of their own. Not only were heavy metal bands, which were going in popularity, branded as demonic black basking, but even the Eagles and Electric Light Orchestra were filling children's heads with satanic messages. Even Barbara Mandrell has been accused <laughs> of using back masking. That is crazy. ELO, to their credits, eventually did put back masking on their first track of their next album, which stated... The music is reversible, but time is not. Turn back, turn back, turn back, turn back. In 1983, they went even further and released an entire album with reversed vocals, closing the album with the backmasked message. Thank you for listening. There's even modern day songs from people like Miley Cyrus and Justin Bieber that have been accused of throwing satanic back messages into various songs. Now, even Weird Al, our beloved parody 
God or King, whatever you want to call him. He only plays the uh, plays uh, plays uh, the music the way God intended, namely with uh, the the Lord's holy uh, instrument. Yes, but it says that he got into the hysteria by recording the following message in his 1983 song, Nature Trail to Hell. His message was, Satan eats cheese whiz. Mm. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that that statement is because who doesn't like cheese whiz on a cracker? Not because of some insider information. No, what's in the uh, devil's pantry? DNT. And here we go, was already on the rise in the gaming community and not necessarily worrying the average parent back in 1979. But we find ourselves with a conundrum here. And that one group of students that were among the small but growing group of LARPers, or live-action role-playing, though no one outside the community really knew what the term meant. To them, it was just kids dressing up and playing like kids do out through the ages. Maybe those kids felt that uh, those parents felt those kids were a little bit too old to be playing around, but it wasn't really a big deal at the time. Until James Dallas Egbert III disappeared into a set of utility tunnels beneath the campus of Michigan State University. He was finally found a month later. But his parents had hired to protect uh, to find him because the boy was only 16. The detective, William Deere, found out that Egbert was playing D&D. Though Deere had no clue about the game at the time, he did discover, however, that there were a group of students who would go into the steam tunnels below campus to play a live version of the game. Deer went as so far as to speculate to the reporters covering the disappearance that the boy probably had gotten lost during a game session. Hi, Shelly. I'm so glad you were able to make it. Thank you for yep, joining hello. us. Happy Samhain. Happy Samhain. Now, as you said, he probably got lost during the game. However, the press reported it as truth. It turns out that Egbert hadn't gone down with his group, hadn't accidentally gotten lost in the labyrinth of tunnels, and had gone down alone and with the intent to kill himself. He wasn't driven crazy by the game, or wasn't fulfilling some fantasy side quest, as he had had already multiple attempts at suicide. Sadly, in 1980, he succeeded and ended his life with a gun. However, the press had a field day at the time. Newspapers seemed to be tying the young's death to an obsession with the game when nothing could be further from the truth. But let's go ahead and step away from poor Egbert for a minute. What came next was a book in November 1980 from a man who claimed to be a psychiatric therapist who specialized in recovery I'm sorry, Recovered Memory Therapy Through Hypnosis. The book was called Michelle Remembers, and it dumped out a myriad of claims 
of a five-year-old's repressed memories of satanic worship, sexual abuse, and dark rituals. Never mind that no one at the time had tried to verify any of these claims. It swept over the northern hemisphere like a rocket, taking as gospel truth for which both the doctor, Lawrence Panzen, and victim, Michelle Smith, both claimed it to be. After all, as good Catholic stock would want any question Panzer on where the proof was back up his claim and his client's claim. And according to the book, the torture and rights witnessed human sacrifices of infants and adults and forced participation started in 1954 when she was five and went to 1955. It was claimed that the final ritual, which went on for nonstop 81 days and was held in the middle of a cemetery in a residential neighborhood that no one heard the screams for that even Satan himself was summoned. Luckily for the young victim, Jesus, the Virgin Mary, and Michael, the archangel, intervened on her behalf and removed the scars she had received in her years of torment and blocked her memory of events until the time was right. Michelle's mother, who had died in 1964, was not there to deny the claims that she herself was a part of the cult and willingly offered up her daughter's innocence for the rituals. Therapist Padzer, however, shortly after his book's publication, stopped asserting that the Church of Satan was involved after LeVay threatened to slap him with a lawsuit. Now, Michelle's father, however, is, was still alive. He was interviewed for McLean's magazine in their October 27, 1980 issue, and not only denied the allegations, but stated he had proof that none of the claims had ever actually happened. He noted that the book failed to have any details whatsoever about Michelle's two sisters, one who was older and one who was younger. Plus, by this time, not only had the good Catholic therapist and client not reported any of these events to the police to investigate, by the time the publications both had divorced their spouses and were now husband and wife. So they hooked up. The couple wound up making the rounds of talk shows and conferences based on lies written including meeting with the prominent church leaders, including a visit to the Vatican itself. Even Oprah, the queen of talk shows, was pulled in by the compelling tale and hosted Michelle on her show back in 1989, along with other satanic ritual survivors, turned writer Laurel Rose Wilson. Throughout the 80s, sudden satanic rituals were cropping up everywhere as more and more victims streamed in the claim that they had, too, been uh, abused in a ritual torture. Books, appearances with televangelists, even the mainstream news reported these stories as the truth. Rather than dig a little deeper to see what was really going to stick. And each new account grew wilder and wilder as people seemed to want to, to one-up one another for who had the harder time of it. Because, hey, we know. Bad stories and horror sales. But no one wants to get to the exact same story told over and over and over again. What do you think? I don't think really? so. <laughs> it wasn't until 1990s 
that researchers began to take a hard look at Michelle and Dr. Pedzer's claims. But the train had already left the station long before. Sure enough, Michelle's recalled car accident somehow failed to make the local papers, who at the time reported any vehicle accident, regardless how large or small. Former neighbors and friends, teachers, even the elementary school yearbook showed that Michelle had not spent 81 days missing school in a non-stop ceremony. She had been in all of her classes with no sign of uh, apparent abuse, emotional or physical. With her ceremony taking place in a residential cemetery, with 100 participants would not have gone unnoticed unless the neighborhood itself were involved. Well, you know, they could have done the ritual, you know, after school and after work in the evenings. Yes, but it was a nonstop. Mm. It was nonstop. How can people keep going for nonstop for 81 days? That just It was nonstop. That would be pretty impossible. I'm sorry. When did they eat? When did they sleep? Nonstop. <laughs> Hold on, let me tap out in a moment. I need a nap here. Nope, sorry, it's nonstop. <laughs> Michelle also could not name one single person who had participated other than her mother. She claimed that some had cut off their middle fingers during the Black Mass ceremony. So that wouldn't be a hard thing for people to notice that you're missing your middle finger. Hey, James oh. Doohan has one. Well, that's what I'm saying. People would kind of notice those sort of things. Um, What's worse is that many of these quote unquote memories that she had pulled from her wiped memory followed elements of recent horror film, The Exorcist, as well as Dr. Padzer's experience while working in Africa during the early 1960s during their own ritual sacrifice sphere. You can't be. It's your turn. <laughs> Love it. That's right. It's not your turn to go to the bathroom. Hold it. <laughs> so we do have a lot of people running around screaming that cultists are alive and sacrificing and cutting and bloodletting and summoning going on. So what all does this have to do with Dungeons and Dragons? Well, enter Click Publications. Chick. Chick. Like a chick flick? Just like a chick flick. Okay, so we have here Chick Publications. Publisher and religious cartoonist Jack Chick started the Chick Tracks. This was a series of short evangelical gospel tracks back in the 60s. Chick is actually still publishing these tracks today expressing his views as he sees it. Most generally, they do stay true to the maintain bleh, they do stay true to mainstream Christian theology. However, Chick has also gone above and beyond with some controversial topics. He was well noted for being strongly anti-Catholic as well as the face Judaism, Islam, and Mormonism. Well, he bad bad that's all i gotta say as well as tracks the company also published comic books these books and posters were based in california 
or is still based in California, actually. It is still based in California. In fact, Chick estimates they've printed over 800 million tracks during their first 50 years in the business, which is a lot of paper since considering each track was a three by five and around 20 pages long. Each track is published in a comic book format with a back panel containing a standard sinner's prayer that relates to the topics being covered. Topics include Christian-like attributes that should be fostered, but also wilder topics such as false religion, drug use, Satanism, witchcraft, AIDS, and the sexual revolution. In the track, Poor Little Witch, depicts a little girl murdered by Satanists after her forsaking her cultism and converting to Christianity. The track was based on an urban myth that in the United States alone, each year a minimum of 40,000 people were murdered in witchcraft ceremonies, which is funny considering at that time that the uh, reported U.S. homicide rate was only 20,000 deaths a year, none of which, by the way, were by Satanists. So... Are these these little books they used to give us on Halloween? You know, you go to buy the Christians' houses and they give you these little booklets to read through about how evil all this is? Yes. Oh. I used to have a collection of them. Interesting. By Chick's reckoning, any form of witchcraft was demonic regardless of what, if it was white or black. Halloween was the devil's holiday. So he didn't have any issue with Christians passing out candy to neighborhood children, as he felt it was a perfect opportunity to slip that track <laughs> right in there to the collecting little bags. You know. There we go. Shelly tore one up tonight. Okay. <laughs> so, um, are these the people that, you know, you see on Facebook those memes and it says these are what, you know, Satan and this and that. And it's got like yoga in there and um, different things yeah. like that. Shaving your legs, shaving your armpits. No. no. <laughs> Something else completely. Okay. It was Chick's track called Dark Dungeons, published in 1994. 84. 84, that's what, I'm sorry, it's come out it's okay. 94, it's 84, that came from the world of Dungeons and Dragons. No really surprise, really, given that the role-playing game was growing by leaps and bounds, but a recently released copy of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons had a cover depicting a large red scaly demon prominently on the cover. Chick didn't seem to even notice that the whole point of the game was not to allure children away from the Lord and Savior and into devil worship, but the children to find strength within themselves and to conquer. E even the little characters at the bottom of the, the cover aren't really bowing down and worshiping the Satan, but are trying to actually climb up and grab all of the... Uh, the jewel uh, encrusted eyes, and you know, before they get caught by uh, by the guards. So his track, being read by many as a religious soul, 
became the most talked about thing on the news, around the water cooler, and at PTA meetings. It didn't help that Michelle's book was still being seen as a guidebook on Divin Worship 101. It didn't... Um, it was actually being passed around to leaders and counselors and was being treated as 100% the truth. Your kids play D&D. They're going to be pulled into this world of Satanism. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. Anyway, we'll take a woman's word that her mother was a satanic minion heading straight into the welcoming arms of hell, but not the word of a father who had been right there in the home and not Notice somehow his daughter and wife having an 81-day marathon camp out at the local cemetery with a hundred percent, with a hundred. I'm sorry, with a hundred plus other weirdos. Mind you, they left the other two daughters behind. Mm -hmm. Come on, something's going on here. And that was just the icing on the cake. It didn't matter how much D and D community stated that the game was not a first step into Satan worship or any step into the worshiping or satanic rituals. It was just a game meant to foster self-esteem and teamwork among a group of kids that moments before may have been complete strangers who would never have anything to talk about with each other otherwise. Now, Your mom was like one of those that was terrified of the dangers of Dungeons and Dragons? No. No, that's what Shelly's saying. Her mom was. Our mom was like, okay, have fun. You know. <laughs> no, our mom was basically, she actually looked over the game. She read all the books and uh, gave uh, gave us a consent to uh, actually play D&D. Yeah. Of course, our mom, you know, she was a very special free spirit herself. So she wasn't one to buy into a lot of all of that. She's a wonderful person. I love my mama. Now we enter a one-woman army, Patricia Pulling, and her group, Bad, bothered about D&D. Okay, Patricia formed this group as an anti-occult campaign after her son Irving died in an act of suicide back in 1982. She blamed the creators of the game for putting what she believed was a D&D curse on her son. Uh, Raymond, maybe we can come up combined if people that people are interested, we can get together a game online or something. I've yeah. been wanting to play again myself. So I'm a pretty good DM. Yes, he's a great DM. So I think that would be fun if we could get enough people together to want to play. We should put that post that somewhere see if people are interested. Um, so Patricia's son had unfortunately committed suicide in '82. And she blamed the creators of the game for putting a quote-unquote curse on him. She filed a wrongful death lawsuit against the principal of her son's high school as her son played the game with his friends during lunch, which I know you and our brother Scott are very familiar with, playing lunch mm -hmm. at lunchtime with your friends at school. She so it's back to you, sorry. And we have the sound of silence. Yes, we do. Hello, darkness, girlfriend. I've come to talk with because you. Because she again. lost that Ross, uh, lawsuit. So she then filed a suit at uh, TSR 
uh, a company that published the game at the time, and she lost that case in 1984. She and her cause then began publishing information promoting her professional leaves of how D&D not only encouraged rape, but also Satanism, suicide, and a whole other illegal and immoral sins. She was continually shot down for poor methods of collecting her data, statistics, and reporting, but she could never quit campaigning for the game to remove from the shelves until she died from cancer in 1997. And poor Egbert, remember him from earlier? Lost in the other ground, maze in 79, dead in 80. He would be forever immortalized in a book by Rona Jaffe called Mazes and Monsters, which was published the year after his death. He's not mentioned by name, but the story is very similar to that of the book's lead, and it was adapted into a made-for-TV movie in 1992, starring a very young, fresh-faced, total innocent Tom Hanks. And then, of course, the fit hit the shan, with D&D now specifically targeting for the evils that the world wanted. Since then, other movies have been reported, repeated similar storylines, and none of them ended nicely, folks. Remember William Deere, the private detective who probably should have kept his wild speculation to himself? Well, in 84, he published a book called The Dungeon Master. In it, he completely rejects any links between the game and Edbert's behavior and disappearance. Now, the question is, did Egbert really even play D&D? Was he obsessed with it? No. In fact, he apparently wasn't overly into anything other than a diverting game for a short time. It turns out his poor team... I'm sorry, it turns out the poor teen was suffering from what was later discovered to be very real issues of clinical depression, a domineering mother, and also struggles with his own sexuality and overwhelming stress. Back in 1985, there was a segment aired on 60 Minutes that interviewed Gary Gygax, Patricia Pulling, and the president of the time for the National Coalition on TV Violence, which is something they've been trying to get rid of forever. With um, At that time, the person that was in charge of that was Dr. Thomas Radicke. This segment also included interviews with parents of players who had either murdered people or died by suicide, allegedly due to the game. Radicke at one point confronts Guy Gack with his calculations that D&D could be linked at the time to 28 murders and suicide. Um, Side I note. Do... You do what? Well, I just also wanted to point out that it wasn't just D&D that this was a, uh, an issue with. Um, I don't know if people remember back in the 90s, there was a little game called Vampire Masquerade where some, you know, unfortunate deaths took place and again the game was blamed on those deaths and it was okay. also taken into being considered evil to do these kind of role-playing games mm -hmm. but and interesting continue. to note tsr did not put out fast uh vampire the masquerade it was a uh, company called west end games mm -hmm. so can't blame 
Gary Gygax on that. Yes, but now, continue. Yes, and on a side note here, getting off a little bit topic, the game that's been around for over a decade by this point, 28th death, loosely tied to one game, is hardly proof of anything. We can't even loosely calculate how improbable those odds are. But back to that in a second, because Gary Gygax gives in the response is brilliant. This is make-believe. No one is martyred. There is no violence there. To use an uh, analogy with another game, who is bankrupt by a game monopoly? Nobody is. The money isn't real. There's no link except perhaps in the minds of those people who are looking desperately for any other cause other than their own failures as a parent. Okay, so not all cases are probably due to parental failure, as we all have our own agencies to choose what we do in our lives. Those choices cannot be always laid up by the foot of bad parenting. But he is just, he does have a point. You can especially calculate the odds of all the deaths and suicides of, say, just the United States and time more to the people who have played the game of Monopoly rather than those who have just played D&D. You wouldn't blame Monopoly for a child committing suicide or becoming a killer, unless you play in our family, but have no problem laying it on the hands of yet another game. Or just a senator of a game, you can tie more deaths to the Ouija board than you can with D&D. Wait a minute, what was that slide remark about our family and uh, Monopoly? What cutthroat, you know that. Uh, uh-huh. All of the hype around Rona Jaffe's book and the movie and Patricia Pulling's bad campaigns, however, may have worked up the masses against the gaming community. But in a strange parody of life, it also increased the game's sales, particularly because of the hype around poor Egbert. It was noted that D&D's basic set was probably selling around 5,000 copies a month around the U.S., but after Egbert went missing and the game was blamed, it rose to over 30,000 copies a month. There have been other high-profile deaths with authors pining the crimes on their tie to D&D. But all play out pretty much the same way. Loose and fast facts, often with seven degrees of separation or more with the game. So it could be, okay, this guy over here did this. Oh, by the way, he played D&D. Oh, wait. Okay, so D&D caused this to happen. No, people, yes. come on. That's, that's reaching. That's grasping at straws. Um, and many do regard the satanic panic of these days as just a crazy thing that happened in the past, with details vague and hazy. It has crossed now into the mainstream in the strangest of ways, literally, even featuring into a fourth season of Stranger Things. Um, and, I mean, we see more of that today with the whole Pizzagate and, you know, our politicians and celebrities drinking babies' blood and eating babies and all that weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Turning frogs gay. <laughs> so, yes, we, we've had our, our share of Monopoly uh, fights as well, Raymond. <laughs> Like I said, we've got our tails. Yes.
And yeah. now we're back to the sounds of silence. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. The fact Take a, that, you know, a, a point to meditate and ponder. Yes, monetate. Monetate or meditate? Monetate. What is a monetate? Is that like that, monetizing? That's um, meditating about money. Monetate. Oh, there you go. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Because, you know, uh, these old tales of sales increasing due to tragedy true? Mm, not really. N new books and modules are often sell out with the franchise except uh, ex franchise excel generating over $1.3 billion in revenue in 2021 itself. We think the profit stream is higher than the ever simply because people are discovering it's really just a fun game and a welcome break from starting at a video screen for hours on end and on shooting monsters, stealing cars, and missing real human contact. D&D allows you to explore the world of your imagination without commercial breaks or product placement. It fosters friendships and definitely not out to do some house-selling deal between uh, Gary Gygax and the devil. In fact, Gary Gygax likes to really play all types of games. I mean, if, uh, people, uh, around, uh, around the time that he was uh, living, people would stop at his house. He'd teach him how to play Pinochle. Uh, he'd play a game of checkers. He'd play uh, Monopoly with you, and just he really loved playing games. Yes, and I—I I mean, to me, I—I've always loved playing D and D because I love fantasy. Um, I am a huge fan of. Yes, the D uh, D and D can be anything that the D, DM makes out of it or the players. Um, back centuries ago, superstition was to explain death and misfortune. These fears and accusations are of the same paranoia and misunderstandings. Agreed. Agreed. Um, but I personally, I've always loved D&D because I love fantasy. Um, I am obsessed with elves and, you know, the whole mysticism and, you know, stuff behind that. So to me, D&D has always been a way that I could kind of put myself into that situation for a while and pretend to be an elf awful well of knowing i'm not an elf but you know it was just a an escape for me to enter the story where i can be whoever i wanted and do whatever i wanted for a short time and then come back to reality what was it about dnd that you enjoyed i always loved the storytelling i am somebody uh, a writer by by wish you know and i like the fact of uh intriguing a story around other people and their characters and saying, okay, what will happen if I do this? What happens if I do that? That's true. I remember I used to love to steal your choose your own adventure books and read those because I mm -hmm. mean, it was always kind of like D and D where, okay, if you take this path, it's going to lead you here and this is going to happen where if you go this way and that's kind of like what way D and D was, you always, you know, what happened was based on the choices that you made in the game. And we broke several games because of mm -hmm. making bad choices. <laughs> but yeah. I digress. You play as Lorena Whitemore, a spiritual half-elf. That's awesome. Um, my main character that I've been playing since I was a kid is um, 
Her name is Chastity, and she's a highbrowed, snobbish cleric, and she's a high highbrowed high elf. That's really funny because my husband likes to play a warrior who loves to drink named Mace Windu. No, not Mace Windu. Mace, what's his last name? Not Windu, because that's Star Wars, but Mace something or other. And it's so funny because you know how, like, when you drink, you have to roll to see what your, um, how it's going to affect you and your hindrance, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. He always tends to roll better when his character's drunk and performs better when he's drunk. So that's something we've always laughed at. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just great, clean fun for anybody who wants to play. And like I said, if we can get enough people together, maybe we can do like an on, you know, online game through Discord or something. If anyone's interested, definitely let us know. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much all we have for you on the Satanic Panic of Dungeons and Dragons. And we invite you to join us next week at our regular time and our regular day when we'll be discussing the moon myths. Um, we'll be talking about, you know, how the moon affects the the tides. Yes. Um, you were saying? I'm just saying the fact of, you know, we're going to be talking about uh, Luna and all of her adventures, pretty much. Yes, and that'll be Sunday, November 7th. If you're on Eastern, it'll be at 930. Here in Texas, Central is 830. Mountain where you're at is 7.30, and if you're on the West Coast, 6.30. Now, we also would like to mention the fact that the day we're doing it is also daylight savings time, so make sure that uh, that you actually are uh, got those clocks uh, turned back because we are turning back time. Because we turn back time. <laughs> Yes. We're going to go back in the hour. <laughs> it's going to be so fun, so fun. And yes. that's to understand. And when the king collects too much gold, the underworld just sends a dragon to take it all back. Yep, this is true. Yeah. So we hope we all have a very safe and happy Halloween for what's left of it. Um, happy Samhain for those who celebrate it. And for those of you that are watching on YouTube, we do ask that you like and subscribe and hit the notification so you know when we go live again. Mm -hmm. If you're in our Facebook group, The Skeptic Psychic, thank you for joining us as well. We ask others to join us there as well. It's a safe and fun place for like-minded people to hang out and talk things all paranormal and supernatural now if you're listening to us on a rerun say apple podcast or any of those other places yes we do ask that you rate us how many stars for those listening in one two three four five nine stars is what we ask please yes we've got our bot back tonight <laughs> Yes, thank you, Raymond. It has been fun. And we do ask that you rate us five stars, um, but we'll take whatever stars you give us. And if you do rate, leave a review so that we can learn from how we can improve. We do read reviews on air. 
So yeah, it's a good way to get a shout out. And if there's anything that you'd like to, you know, share, whether it be a story, a question, an idea for us to talk about on air, if you'd like to be a guest on our show, you can always email us at info at skeptic psychic. Is there anything I missed tonight? Uh, just the one thing. Which is? Unpleasant nightmares. Sweet dreams, everybody, and happy Halloween, happy San Wayne, and take care, all. Good night. All right. Good night. <laughs>